This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chanae Ogumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. No! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is on the freeway. What's up, guys? Welcome to this podcast. My name is Salman Ali, at Salman Ali NBA on Twitter. Uh, and we're going to be doing something a little bit different today. Uh, obviously, I have not had the chance to record a podcast in a few days, and that's because for the past two days, I have not had my laptop or a microphone on me, uh, just my phone. Uh, so I wrote my newsletter, and I didn't really have anything to do uh, for a podcast. And I was a guest on uh, Dan Favalli's podcast, uh, and... It was actually a pretty good podcast, and it was basically my reaction to the stuff that's happened in the past week, and I just went ahead and asked Dan, like, hey, can I have that audio? Can you send me over that audio? Because it was pretty good, and I feel like that could be this podcast. So we're going to go ahead and use that audio for this podcast. It is my reaction, along with Dan's, to Russell Westbrook demanding a trade, uh, James Harden and Russell were going to, the, going to management and telling them that they're unhappy, all the drama, all the fallout. Uh, a bunch of other stuff, you know, possible trades for Westbrook and everything moving forward. And I think that's a pretty good podcast. Uh, so I'm going to put the audio here and I hope you guys enjoy. Welcome back to the Hardwood Knox podcast, Salman Ali. If you guys are not following him on Twitter, please do so now at Salman Ali at S-A-L-M-A-N-A-L-I-N-B-A. He covers the Houston Rockets for ESPN 97.5. He has his own newsletter that you need to check out and subscribe to immediately called State of the Rockets. Go to stateoftherockets.substack.com or just if you follow him on Twitter, the link is right in his bio. He's also a fellow Blue Wire podcaster. He hosts the Red Nation Hoops podcast, which covers you guessed it the houston rockets so who better to bring in to talk about the absolute circus going on in houston right now than than salman so how are you doing tonight salman i have a headache (laughs) (laughs) is it my yelling at you already (laughs) no it's just what a day what what a 48 hours like it does not get any more crazy than that you start the morning off at like 7 a.m central time with this bombshell um report from Tim McMahon and Adrian Wojnarowski that that the uh, James Harden and Russell Westbrook may be unhappy and are looking to management for some changes 
And then and then you get to the afternoon and Kendrick Perkins is on the jump talking about how James Harden hasn't answered a phone call from management or ownership in like two weeks. And then you get to I guess this is what was it seven p.m. Central Time? Uh, at that at that point, Russell Westbrook's already telling the media, "I'm out. Like I I want out." And then, like by 9 p.m., it's already all wrapped up. The day's already wrapped up. Russell Westbrook's like drinking wine on Instagram. His wife is in is video videotaping him, and he's just like, "Happy birthday!" <laughs> like that's it. Like and that, that that's the day. That's the day. That, that that's what you had to go through if you're a Rockets fan for 12 hours. Just that insane roller coaster of like, oh, it looks like James Harden and Russell Westbrook are unhappy. Oh, it looks like this situation is maybe even worse than unhappy. Oh, it looks like Russell Westbrook just doesn't want to be here. And here we are. Look, first of all, the thing that I found maybe the best because it was the most awkward were, was the Rockets Twitter account wishing Rush a, a happy birthday. Oh, that was so a scheduled tweet. I, right. And, and, and you know those, those, those guys had no choice. Like, they, they, they knew that was coming. Like, they, they knew that was going to be tweeted in the morning. And what do you do? Like, do, do you not wish him a happy birthday? Do you just pretend like he's not on the team? Like, I... Yeah. <laughs> It's such a tough position to be in, and I know the guy who runs that account, and uh, I, I feel I feel really bad for him. Like he, he knew he was going to be a ratio this morning. He knew it. Uh, yeah, but you have, like you said, you have to do it. That's why uh, social media members in sports, I mean, everywhere, social media is a really hard job, but that's particularly difficult. So I, there are so many angles to tackle from this. I'm going to start here. Is did. Was there writings on? Was there writing on the wall throughout the season that the Rockets could combust to this extent, where we're talking about okay, it's not just Mike D'Antoni leaving, but uh, Daryl Morey not only left, but he took another job a week after he said he was going to take a year off to spend more time with his family, and now we're talking about not just a new head coach in Stephen Silas, not just a new uh, general manager with Raphael Stone. Like now, Russell Westbrook wants out, and James Harden may be unhappy, um, but he also may be locked in, getting ready for next season too. I don't. That stuff is always just weird. And my follow up just to that is whether or not you this there were there was a writing on the wall is who's to blame? Like who's most at fault for all for all of this getting to this point where um, Westbrook is unhappy? I tilt towards just as a spoiler alert probably Russell Westbrook himself or James Harden because they so badly wanted to play together. Like, why is it if he, if Russ really wants to leave to go be the floor general somewhere else, like how is this not like something that you saw coming? You have, you not watched James Harden since he left Oklahoma city in 2012. Like you were never going to be the number one option. There's a lot to unpack there. So let's just start with the, the state of the organization, just in general, before we get to the team side. So I, I mean, you called it when I was on your podcast, maybe like what a few months ago, and where you asked me whether Daryl was going to go away or Mike D'Antoni, and I just organizationally, I just didn't think things were going to change. I thought they would bring Mike D'Antoni back, and I thought bringing Daryl Morey back would obviously be the smart play. And apparently, ownership just disagrees with me because Daryl Morey walks away within two weeks. He's able to be convinced to go to another title contender across the conference. Like <laughs> that, that is just. Like, such a black eye for the franchise. The fact that he's able, in two weeks, able to be talked out of seemingly a gap year uh, to go back right into the thick of things, into a front office that's not exactly shy on voices in the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, they got, right. like, it, it's insane that the amount of people they have in that, in that room making decisions for them right now. Um, and the fact that Daryl was, was, was able to be swayed to that uh, in just within the span of two weeks is, is incredible. And I... 
I really think when you're talking about like when did the bottom fall out, I think that's probably when when Daryl when Mike D'Antoni said he, I'm done, like I, when he walked away, uh, and I think that that really stunned Daryl. Like I, I really do believe Daryl's plan was to bring Mike D'Antoni back. Like I think I think. I mean, he knew, like, the odds that you were going to get a better coach than him. I mean, he's all about the numbers, right? Like, the odds that you were going to upgrade at that position for Mike D'Antoni were pretty slim, right? It's very hard right. to find a, a coach of his caliber. And uh, I'm, I'm sure his number one priority was to bring him back. And I, I think when he came to them on that flight heading out of uh, Orlando that and told them that he you know I'm I'm not going to return I think that stunned him in fact in Kelly Eco of the Athletic in his reporting it actually said that Daryl Morey was taken aback from that and apparently he had been thinking about stepping away from the organization from for about a month up until that point so I you got to figure that that was probably you know what broke the camel's back there right like it it is it seems like the moment Mike D'Antoni stepped away, Daryl was like, yeah, this is just an untenable situation, especially when you talk about the ownership ownership situation, right? Like the fallout with the stuff in China is just insane. And right. when you like, like when you talk about when that happened, like when, when Daryl tweeted, um, you know, support for the Hong Kong protesters, like literally 45 minutes later, Tillman comes out and throws him under the bus in a tweet. Like you got to figure that stings a little bit, right? Because previously he was under an ownership that had his back 100% on all matters, mm-hmm. right? In Leslie Alexander, and sure he was he was a in the shadows kind of guy, whereas Tillman Fertitta is very much in front of the camera every Tuesday for his weekly interview, right? Like it, it, it is it's it's a different kind of owner, but that you definitely expected that kind of support. You didn't expect him to throw him under the bus like that within the, within an hour. Like, yeah, I, I understand your business partners are blowing up your phones and telling you like, like you, you gotta, you gotta have, you gotta have him delete this tweet. But the fact that you completely reputed, repudiated yourself from him is just, it's kind of disgusting to be frank. I mean, it is, I mean, first of all, the cause that he was talking about wasn't a bad cause. Sure. It puts you in an awkward position because it's something uh, that, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna work with China here in the U.S., you just don't talk about that kind of stuff. But it's not like he's he was wrong. Like he he was completely in his right to tweet something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know may, maybe you know you want you want to take a step back a little bit, reevaluate what he said. But there's a better way to go about it. Maybe you release a press release. How about that? Like how about you be a little bit more more professional? You say you know uh, the Rockets aren't a political organization. We respect Daryl Morey's belief to say what he wants to say. That's what Adam Silver said, right? Adam Silver came out and said exactly that. And the fact that Tillman handled it the way he did and that nobody in the NBA had his back except for Masai Ujiri uh, was, a little, was a little bit puzzling. And I, I, I do think, like, at that at that point, that's when Daryl was like, you know, we haven't, we haven't spent the luxury tax in two years now. And then this China thing happens, and my ownership seems to not completely have my back here. I know I'm really good at my job. I there's you know I have ten years of evidence to prove that I'm really good at my job. I don't need this. I can go. I can leave the NBA and go make millions of dollars elsewhere because I'm that kind of dude. Uh, so I I do think I do believe him when he said he was going to take a gap year. But the fact that ownership did not even try to keep him. Like if it took two weeks. For the Sixers to persuade Daryl Morey 
to go to go to Philly, you got to figure that he could have been talked out of retirement, right? You got to figure right. that 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 was. That was was basically on the table for you, and that reflects poorly on ownership. It also reflects poorly on ownership that they just let D'Antoni walk. And going back, going to the team side of things, I think you know these two things are directly related. Like, listen, James Harden and Mike D'Antoni and Daryl Morey all had a really close working relationship. That was a really good synergy, you know, synergetic group there. Like they were all in close contact all the time. My, you know, Daryl was the guy who bet on James Harden, right? Like when a lot of people thought he was crazy for betting on this 23-year-old sixth man of the year candidate, he put all of his trade, trade assets on the table for James Harden, which at the time wasn't that much when you see some of the trade hauls you see today. But, you know, he bet on him. He gave him multiple extensions, max, you know, max extensions. Uh, he believed in him. He built his he built rosters around him that perfectly complemented his skill sets. And, the fact that he walked away and that the coach that perfectly designed an offense to, to form, you know, around you, the fact that that guy walks away, I mean, I think that really shook Harden to his core. It's something I speculated upon when, when Daryl Morey stepped away on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. I was like, how does James Harden feel right now, right? Like, you right. got to feel that's that's the kind of thing that shakes you up here. And, you know, I... I I, it, it appears that Russell Westbrook was already upset by not only the style of play the Rockets ran, but uh, I guess some culture slash accountability issues. And, and you can go and read uh, Kelly Eco, Sam Amick, and uh, Sham Sharania's article on that. They wrote a huge, giant piece on it where pretty much everybody on the team was unhappy. Everyone from James Harden to Daniel House. Uh, <laughs> Really Demar, wasn't Damari Carroll? I think was uh, was Terrence Jones unhappy too? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I think I think Trevor Reza was unhappy. I'm like, dude, you're not even on the team. You're, <laughs> you're not even on the team. You're and you're out here complaining. Daniel House, by the way, has absolutely no ground to complain after what happened in the bubble. Like that's such a bad look that he came out and's like, you know what? I don't like my role. I need more touches. Like what? What? Uh, I, just just a complete and utter dumpster fire uh and i it, it it makes a lot of sense that you know those two would be shook to the core a little bit and um listen like i th- i think i think russ is going to be gone by this time next month like i i don't think that's going to be i don't think that's a surprise i don't think that's a hot take like i think you know superstars in this day and age it doesn't really matter what your contract length is uh once once you tell ownership or once you tell the media you want out you're going to get out. That's just the way it is. You're, like, Anthony Davis showed us that there really is no contract length that makes you a secure asset, right? right. So um, it, it is, it's insane. It's, it's, I, I'm, just, I'm still processing all this. I, I, think, I think this is a little bit therapeutic for me. I think I talked for like six minutes there. And I'm still, <laughs> like, I, I, I haven't even got on my podcast yet. It's just, it's just a lot. It's just a lot happening in, 12, in 48 hours. Here's, so, here's my thing is, what was – I understand the concern from James Harden and Russell Westbrook because this always felt like a combustible situation, but they had a hand in it. And look, I'll blame Tillman Fertitta first and foremost because there's no way you evaded the luxury tax in each of the past three seasons since you've owned the team by fluky circumstances, especially over the past two when it was just like moves were made to get under them, basically. So I kind of thought at first that maybe this report before – um, Sharania dropped that Russ wanted out, and maybe it still could be. I mean, this would be hell of a leverage play. Was 
to was aimed to put pressure on the organization, particularly after the departures of Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni, to do something to spend. Like you have to go into the tax this year. You could maybe access the non-taxpayers mid-level, uh, or 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 at least spend the mini mid-level, uh, like spend this summer. I thought it was that type of a leverage play, but you have the Sharani report. Here's where things are just tough for me to understand. Is one, I know superstars don't think this way if you're James Harden, but what did you think? this team is going to be able to do after they gave up a trillion picks and swaps plus Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook and bigger, more than that for me is Russell Westbrook. Like what did he think this fit was going to be that he regrets it after one year? I understand that playing alongside James Harden. Well, it could be good for, you know, complimentary players numbers. There's a lot of standing around, but for Russ in particular, he played, I would argue the best basketball of his career from like middle point of the season. Uh, basically when Clint Capella got injured and that's when they first decided to ditch the traditional center before they even traded him um, through the, the stoppage. And then when he came back, he had coronavirus. He was dealing with that, with that injury. So I get that he wasn't as good. And so I'm just confused as to why he's so unhappy there. Um, unless the, maybe the franchise communicated that that's not how they're going to play, which would be bonkers given how well it worked out for him. And so before I even get into like these potential destinations, how hard it is to move him with $132.6 million left on the, the three years remaining on his deal, like wh- I don't understand, particularly from him, like this revelation that he doesn't necessarily like the fit. What did you think was going to happen when you orchestrated this move to Houston? I mean, it was a bad trade from the onset. Like, you sold low on Chris Paul. You sold at the lowest point in Chris Paul's career. Like, that that's just, that's terrible asset management. Like, beyond the basketball standpoint, you sold on a star player at the lowest point in their career. And, like, that was a year he was coming off of, of, a, of a hamstring injury. There was reasonable belief to, to, to you know, think that he would bounce back. I, I thought he was going to bounce back. Like, I... I, I I was telling people to take to slam Houston to over because I just thought Chris Paul was going to be awesome next year. Right. And 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 they just apparently everybody in that front office wasn't fully convinced. Um. And yeah, James Harden absolutely has blood on his hands for helping orchestrate this. Right. Like he's not blameless at all. Like he like the there there was definitely something that happened in Game Six of that Warriors series. I, after game six, there was some sort of blow up. Something happened in the locker room. Nobody's been able to f- fully ascertain what exactly happened. Uh, there was some sort of confrontation between those two. Uh, th- that's all we know, right? And after that, their relationship just fractured. And it, apparently, the, those those guys just never tried to repair it. Like that's just strange to me. You you put all your chips on the table for right. Chris Paul. It was a healthy relationship up until that point. Very fruitful for you on the basketball court. Almost won an NBA championship, if not for a hamstring injury. And the fact that you didn't try repairing that relationship right away, Harden absolutely has blood on his hands for that trade. Um, and yeah, it was it was just it was a bad trade. It was I mean like like Chris Paul, in my opinion, like was clearly the better player at that point. On top of you're trading two first round picks and two pick swaps out like five years in the future. That by the way should have been everyone's first hint that maybe Daryl Morey didn't have all his, <laughs> all his feet in the water, right? Like, he, he it, it was definitely uh, a show of the hand there. But um, it was it was insane. It was a ludicrous trade. But at, at that point, you have to buy in, right? Like, like you can't, you can't, you know, wallow in that. It's, those picks are of some cost. You can't, you, you don't have a time machine to go back and fix that. You have to make this relationship work because, 
Uh, listen, we're going to talk about trades here in a minute. I'm not sure the Rockets can get another star player back, right? Like, the, you know, the, they can do some interesting, very interesting things, right? And, and we'll talk about mm-hmm. that in a minute. But I don't think they can get, like, a star caliber player back, like a bona fide top 20 level player back um, from this kind of a trade. And if you're not going to get that level of player back, well, you you try to make this work, right? Like, the the Rockets traded Clint Capella to accommodate Russ and play micro ball. And you, you got to figure that that was going to be their plan going into next season. And the fact that, you know, like, they, they couldn't make it work for season two. Like, like it's, not, it's, not <laughs> even like it's not even like you guys you guys tried it for two years, didn't work out. You, you guys tried it for one year, and you lost in the second round to the eventual NBA champions. Granted, it was kind of a flame out, but you did lose to the NBA champions, right? So you can't try, you can't sell yourself on year two for that. Like that, that's that's kind of ridiculous to me. Yeah, and I'm I'm with you there. And so before my actual last question would be, before we get into like the nitty gritty of potentially moving Russ, is I guess you're, uh, you don't think there's a strong chance that they do still try to salvage this relationship? I guess that's or fit, and then. Um, I don't know if maybe their hand could be forced if the market for Russ just isn't robust at all or boarding on non-existent. And then what is – do you think that this is now a strain on Harden and Westbrook's relationship? Because this definitely doesn't seem like there's as, there's that level of animosity that existed between Westbrook and Harden. But you could kind of sense them – like there were issues throughout the season I think was reported where they graded on each other a little bit. And for Russ to want to pull the ripcord after one year, like I would think that there has to be at least – you know, maybe they're still cool, but there has to be, like, a pretty strong, like, difference of opinions, clashing of wills going on there for it to happen this soon where they don't even want to give it a year or two together. Oh, this was definitely uh, moving back in with your college roommate kind of situation, right? Like, <laughs> like, hey, we can split the rent. Like, like, you can live on that side. I'll live on this side. Listen, we're, we're good friends. We can work this out. It's not. It's going to be fun. It's going to be just like college. And, and guess what? It's never like college. It's never the same. And I, I'm pretty sure that, that that's the conclusion the Rockets came to. I mean, uh, James Harden and Russell Westbrook, rather. And I think they're still close friends. I saw James Harden just wished uh, Russell Westbrook a happy birthday today. I, I don't. I don't think that was out of you know anger or hatred. I, I think those guys actually genuinely like each other. I just think they realized this is not a good on court marriage, which anybody could have told you when this trade was. First incepted, like it was just, it was such a non-Daryl Morey move when they first made it. I cannot shake this idea that Daryl Morey was not the strongest voice in the room. Well, that, made- and that is kind of the moment when it felt like he wasn't long for Houston. Like that was the one where I don't, like no one came out and said it, but you knew it wasn't a Daryl Morey trade. Now, look, I'm not trying to fully absolve him. Like he gave the Eric Gordon extension. I don't think he was forced to do that one. Uh, it would be really funny if he was just trying to sabotage the Rockets' future knowing that he was going to leave anyway. But for the moment that he treated not um, Russell Westbrook as the best player in that trade, but as the appreciably best player in that trade, like it, it kind of just felt like his hand was was off the wheel there. And I, the Rockets, they, they leaned even further into it because they treated Robert Covington as the most valuable player in that Clint Capella four-team trade too. So there, there's all those kinds of problems there. And now you get into... The simple matter of, okay, look, you can't consider what it costs to get Russell Westbrook to move him because you're not going to net that value in return. It's a sunk cost. You have to view it as a sunk cost. Right. And, but like, where do you see like any potential fits for him? And like, look, there are teams like you can come up and they'll send uh, just like a buffet of contracts to 
Houston. But, like, is there any team that you could see maybe even giving up a little value or uh, sending helpful players to Houston in order to take on Westbrook? And, again, so this is what I'll say before I I throw you the the talking stick is Russell Westbrook is still really good. I would call him a a fringe all-NBA player at this point. The problem is, is, is it's not the money per se, but it's the fact that um, he's not easy to fit in any situation as he's just proven. And so you can't, it feels like his perfect teammate was probably Paul George, where it's like someone who is probably the better player than him, but at the same time, uh, he doesn't want to dominate the ball on offense as much. And so that kind of seems like where he needs to be. And like, that's a very specific fit. And if you're not going to find him that co-star, then he just needs to be somewhere where the entire ecosystem is built around him. And that's what makes him such a complicated, if damaging player when combined with, again, the $132.6 million he's owed over the next three years. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the most important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more qualified candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. All right, football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. He is so much like Allen Iverson, it's not even funny. Like, from everything from the cult following to you have to construct this very specific archetype of a team to make it work and be successful in the playoffs. Like, it is it is down to a T. He is modern-day Allen Iverson. And modern-day Allen Iverson, even in you know the mid-2000s, wasn't netting a lot of assets. I mean, it nets you Chauncey Billups at one point, right? And that's what, if you're the Rockets, you have to try to hope for, right? Mm-hmm. You have to try to hope for, like, to get at least some positive you know, assets back, right? And I think if you're Houston, the kind of trade you have to construct is, one, A, you cannot trade any more first-round picks. First of all, you don't have that many to trade. Second of all, like, you don't have any firm commitment beyond this season from James Harden. So it is it's just not worth it to take that kind of a risk. Second of all, you cannot take a cumbersome contract that that you cannot flip in uh, at this point next season or at this point mm-hmm. next offseason, right? You you have to be able to get whatever contracts you can get that are movable, that are liquid, right? 
And I think, you know, you could construct trades in that ilk, but here's the thing. You're not going to trade into a title contender, which means you're not going to get many first-round picks back, right? Because title contenders are only trading uh, for a player like Westbrook if they're going to give up first-round picks, and the Rockets just aren't going to get that back for Russ. Uh, and I don't think there is a team out there that's just a Westbrook away from a championship. Sorry. Like, I just, I just, I don't. Uh, and I think at that point, you're, 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 the pool of teams you're shopping with just gets so narrow. Uh, you know, there are teams out there, like, as you said, Westbrook, Westbrook is really good. And here's the thing. When you're a team in NBA purgatory, like the Charlotte Hornets, you are just starving, starving for relevance. You are starving to taste the playoffs. You haven't tasted the playoffs in years right and it is it's it's you you get to that point where it's like i just want to get my playoffs like listen i i've talked to those fans those like fans like that just want to be good like they, they just want to be good they, they don't care if the, if there's a, not a, like a clear rebuilding trajectory there they understand that they're a small market team they just want to be good they just want a team that they can root for and have fun with and i think you know that's the kind of that's the kind of uh trade you're looking at you're looking at teams like that like detroit like you know i mean if i, mean, I think the knicks are probably going to try to be more patient but if you can you know try to get the knicks on the phone right like like th- those kinds of teams are, are are definitely the teams you try to deal with uh the pacers you know like teams like that are the ones you uh you deal with in this kind of situation and like it, it, westbrook's not going to get you you know to a fourth or fifth seed in your conference, but he'll get you to the eighth seed and the eighth seed is really fun. And he'll, he'll sell tickets when team, when people can eventually buy tickets. I'm not sure when that's going to be, but, uh, Oh wait, wait, you, you can buy tickets this year, right? I think it's only like, like partial seating, right? The Knicks and the Nets, the Lakers, Clippers, like teams like that, I know it won't even have fans, but there are certain markets that I believe are planning to have partial capacity, particularly in the suites, I believe. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so I, 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 I guess like, that's your best hope, right? Like, like to, to find a fan base, to find an organization that is just desperate for relevance. The Magic, right? The Magic are a, definitely a prototypical type team for like this. And I don't think, like, you know, people keep throwing out the Clippers. I don't think the Clippers are really that interested. Like, I, 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 I it sounds to me like there is a very clear side that's leaking this. Uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I, I, I just, I just don't see them as a Russell Westbrook away from a championship. And, I, and you definitely do not move Paul George, uh, even if the Rockets uh, agree to give up first round picks. It's just, it, it clearly benefits one team and one team only. Um, yeah, it, it's a limited pool of teams, but I think if you're Houston, the kind of trade you want is you want positive assets, uh, positive contracts rather. You're, not, you're probably not gonna get first round picks back, but if you can, that's great. Like if you can get like one first round pick back, that's great. But more than likely, you're looking for contracts that you can move or expire in a year. And the kind of trade that I I really like, uh, it's been talked about a bunch, but a straight Blake Griffin for Russell Westbrook swap with Detroit makes a lot of sense, right? Like, like, first of all, like, Blake Griffin's contract in a year is going to be super attractive. It's a bunch of expiring money, uh, and it it matches up with Russ, right? Like, it's actually $5 million cheaper than Russ uh, per year. And, like, if you want to pivot to a rebuild, it's very easy to pivot to a rebuild. Blake Griffin's a nice talent bet. He fits a lot cleaner next to, to James Harden. Right. Uh, and, you know, it, it's the kind of thing where, like, okay, now you can, like, try and 
salvage this relationship with James Harden. We're like, okay, we can be a really fun and good and scrappy team next year. Maybe we can still be a four seed in the Western Conference, and maybe that's enough to maybe convince James Harden to write out his contract. Who knows? But like, that's the kind of trade if you're Houston that you know one that you're able to quickly pivot into a rebuild with. Uh, a team I thought about, and I don't know that I absolutely love the fit, but knowing that they have very few trade assets and might be in the market for a third star was actually the Lakers. And I'm wondering if, you know, you go the route. I think they need help. Like, they need McGee and Avery Bradley to opt in. And so the deal would be uh, there's probably other teams involved, maybe just because this is six for one. But it would have to be Danny Green, Avery Bradley, and McGee would have to opt, it, opt in. Quinn Cook, you have to guarantee his salary. Kyle Kuzma, and then number 28. Like, and you have to move him as an actual salary. My issue with that is, look, there's the fit issues for sure. I think Westbrook obviously gives you someone who can run the offense when LeBron is off the court, and Los Angeles' half-court offense ranked in the 30th percentile last year when LeBron was off the floor. Now, you don't want to spend $132.6 million over the next three years to necessarily fill that void, but he is star power, and you can do different things with LeBron um, that you can't necessarily do with Harden, like, you know, you can run screen and rolls with LeBron if you really want to, like, use him as an, like, a makeshift Anthony Davis sometimes when it's just LeBron and Russ on the court. So I don't, I don't. Oh, hold, hold on, but before you finish this, do you 100% believe this yourself? Like, are you trying to sell yourself on this, or do you actually believe that the Lakers would be interested in this? Um, no, no, I don't believe. I'm just curious. Okay. And then, so in that type of deal, here's where I think it goes off the rails is that Kuzma and number 28, I think those are like assets that you don't want to give up in a deal for Westbrook's contract. And so if you're Houston, if that's a deal that's on the table, one, does it interest you enough to say, hey, we'll give you either our 2022 pick protected or it can be a pick swap or you just like, you know what, we're not giving up any type of asset in a Westbrook uh, a Westbrook trade. And if you're not, I think that limits the pool even further because maybe there is a contender that's like willing to do or a fringe contender willing to do something like this. But like if, if they want to, because Danny Green and Avery Bradley are players that could actually help the Rockets. So if you want to get back guys who can maybe help you pivot into a rebuild because their contracts are short, but they can also help you win around James Harden next season. I'm wondering if there would be like some wiggle room from Houston there to be like, yeah, we will throw our 2022 pick in play. And obviously putting protections on it makes more sense than a pick swap because if you do end up trading James Harden, you're not going to be good um, ahead of that 2022 draft. So the kind of situation where I do expect them to, where I could see them, you know, trading a first round pick is if they get like three or four good players back for Westbrook, which is kind of the deal you're describing, right? Because then you can trade at least two of those players for first round picks in the future if you if need be, right? At the deadline next season, right? Like that, that's always a very popular time for teams trying to tear up the cupboards uh, to, you know, to get to net first round picks. Like I think that's the kind of deal you're talking about. Um, but I, I still, like, I don't think that Houston is willing to give up first-round picks. I, I really don't, especially after the Robert Covington trade. Like, like not only they, they trade first-round picks in the, the Rustbrook trade, like, I mean, they, they traded first-round picks in the Covington trade. So it, it's one of those things where, like, I just think that they want to restock the cupboard. And, like, I, I think I don't think they're going to, you know, go as far as, you know, oh, we, we want to get back all the value we lost in that Chris Bond trade and get – you know, first four first round picks. I don't think that they're that delusional, right? I think they're willing to view that as a sunk cost. But I think they want some value back, right? Like I think they want like some good contracts back. If they can get a first round pick back, that'd be great. But I don't think they're expecting it. You know, it's 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 that kind of situation. I think more than likely, I think they're you're, the trades you're looking at are like 
probably breaking up that Westbrook contract into pieces of good players that you can flip at the deadline. Like, I think that's probably the most likely situation because it, it does make Houston a good team, and it it it, it, it kind of keeps you, you know, fluid for rebuilding. Uh, I, I think what hurts them right now is that you have Drew Holiday and Chris Paul in play at the same time. And so there are teams that, you know, yeah, maybe they'd be interested in getting someone by giving up fewer assets, but because those are two good players and Chris Paul is the superior player and they're both on shorter-term contracts, like, I think that also hurts the Rocket uh, Rockets' pursuit where you're almost limited exclusively to, like, those teams that are content to try and chase the seven or eight seeds. And, like, I think Charlotte, Detroit, and New York are going to be the ones that come up the most. I know some people floated around Sacramento. I think that would be an absolutely terrible fit with De'Aaron Fox, but they are a team that has tried, um, you know, weird things in, in the past. But it definitely hurts, I think, um, their search to find any team just willing to take on Westbrook's money, given that Drew Holiday and Chris Paul are just floating around out there. And, look, you know, maybe Orlando is like, you know, can we get rid of some of this salary that we don't necessarily want to send it to Houston? But then you're even looking at that, and it's like, well, Fournier opts in. Like, does Fournier and Aaron Gordon for Russell Westbrook make them um, better? And are is Houston willing to take back Al Farouk Aminu in that deal to give Orlando just some a little bit more long-term cap relief? Like, why would you have Westbrook if Mark Fultz is there? Does he need to be a part of this deal? Is Fultz and Evan Fournier plus another salary? Like, does that make sense for either side? I would say, like, looking, scouring the league, which I've tried to do for a Westbrook trade, I don't even know. Most of the teams that I think will end up trading for him probably shouldn't. Um, I would be more, I would actually be more on board with the Lakers or the Clippers rolling the dice on Westbrook than a Charlotte or a Detroit or New York, just because they're so far away from where they need to be if you're going to acquire Westbrook. However, I think that's the type of team that ends up acquiring him, and I would peg it as, like, I could maybe rattle off four or five teams that are in that situation. I think I just named them. Charlotte, Detroit, New York, and Orlando seems to be okay with being in the middle, too. Yeah, and it, what really really sucks if you're Houston is you kind of shot yourself in the, in the foot here by being such a smart, smart front office and, and getting your guys hired on other teams. Like, we've seen slowly over the past four or five years – the, the smartification of NBA front offices, you're seeing less and less dumb teams uh, willing to, to, to sniff on Westbrook right now. Uh, like, like, like the Sacramento is smart now. They got Monty McNair running the ship. The Timberwolves are smart now. They got Garrison Rosas running the ship, right? Like, like the Rockets got their guys hired at other places and are therefore hurting themselves in this trade, right? Like, it, it, it's, 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 it is uh, just a, a bit of irony there. Um yeah, I mean, like, I, I do think it's going to be a small market team. I, I agree. I think it's going to be a, a probably a small market team that's been desperate for contendership into the playoffs for a while. Um, and I think, I think you know, those fans are kind of crazy for it, man. Like, like, listen, you and I might not like it, right? Because we're, cause we're like so dead set. Okay, how do you get from this to a title contender? Right. But a lot of a lot of fans aren't like thinking that way it's like okay how do we get from this to the playoffs like i like i've been there man like like, like rooting for a team that's middle of the pack knocking on not making the playoffs year after year after year it sucks it sucks and at some point it's like just give me one star give me one star that i can root for that i can take my kids to the game with right like it's it, it's it gets to that point and um yeah, it's, it, it'll be fascinating. It, it will be fascinating, but I will. The the most interesting thing to me is going to be the returns Houston gets back. If that's one, you know, lump sum kind of player like like Griffin, where you know, like the, you're trying to sell Harden, or you, maybe you try to acquire a, a bunch of different pieces. This is very much a, 
it's very similar to that uh, it, LeBron Kyrie situation in, in in Cleveland. Like, do you, do you remember that? Like, yeah. where Le, LeBron was in his final year in Cleveland, and Kyrie demanded a trade, and you know, like you were trying, you were trying that delicate balancing act of trying to appease LeBron without sacrificing your future, right? It's got to look at this trade. This deal can only end in just some wacky four team trade. It needs to be something just bonkers like uh, Al Horford going to Cleveland, Kevin Love going to Houston, Blake Griffin going to Philly, Russ ending up in Detroit, like some some stuff like that. I feel like that's what this entire situation deserves is that just type of mind melting outcome. Oh, it's totally on the table too, because there's just a bunch of teams that are angsty right now. Like this, this trade. Like first of all, this off season in general, if it, if it wasn't a month long, it was going to be an insane off season for trades, right? Like just because of the state of the league right now, there are a bunch of teams that want to make trades. Boston has like three first round picks this year. They want to make trades. Uh, the, the Sixers just hired Daryl Morey. They are going to make trades, right? Uh, like uh, like the Thunder are going to trade Chris Paul. That's another trade. Like. The Rockets are going to trade Russell Westbrook. That, that's another trade. Like, there's just a bunch of teams that are going to make moves right now, and and, and this is not even counting the teams we don't even see coming making a trade, right? Because those always happen. Uh, and I, like, I, it's going to be an insane period for transactions. And you know, it, it could be a thing where like some of these GMs get on the phone, like, okay, how, how can we best solve all our problems here at once? You know, that that that, that happens sometimes. It's very hard. Don't get me wrong. It's very hard to construct a four-team trade. Just because it happens doesn't mean it's not easy. Like it, it is, like one side always, like one of those four teams always at the last minute. Just like, yeah, I, I think I could use an, an extra first-round pick, or you know, like you know, maybe we can throw in this contract, you know, off our books, right? Like it always messes up at the last minute. And but this situation might just necessitate it, unless you're taking back a huge salary as Houston, because if it's smaller pieces, like you have to worry about the roster spot crunch, and so you're going to need teams to take on certain bodies. So even if it's like a smaller time ask, I would I I wouldn't surprise me if this ends up being a three or four team deal. And in that situation, you may be able to net first round picks, right? You may be able to like uh, if if it is like you're getting like four or five players back, right, or like three or whatever, and you know, you're not necessarily taking back all those players. You might be able to get a first-round pick back, which is pretty unpredictable, uh, something something we would have never said a month ago about Westbrook. But, I mean, it, it, if we're really going out there and, like, talking about three to four team trades, that's the, that's the kind of situation where you might be able to net a first-round pick back. So I think the natural segue here is to James Harden. And so right. he's might be unhappy, but he's also locked in for next season, as we already mentioned. Uh, they, they're on, I, I don't like the phrase they're on the clock with James Harden because as soon as you max out anybody, you're just on the clock. You've made that max contract investment. They've made it, I think, two times over now with James Harden, um, if not three at this point. Like, you're you're on the clock. But do you think that, I, from where I'm standing, this just feels doomed to end with, there's no way that James Harden finishes his contract here. And part of me is just wondering, like, are we going to get to a point where he's just we just say, well, he's not even going to be on the team after next season. But do you think, is it really that type of a doomsday scenario for Houston? Or do you think they still have a, that he will give them an opportunity to redeem themselves? In which case, now the return that they get from Russell Westbrook or what they turn it um, into, what they're able to do with whoever comes back and whatever flexibility they gain, which is going to be minimal. Uh, the, only, the only flexibility they're really gaining is if you get 
contracts that come off the books and you're saving money into 21, 22, like that just might make it easier to use your mid-level exception. Like this isn't a, an, um, a spot where Houston's all of a sudden just going to have all this cap space to spend because Russell Westbrook isn't on the books. You still have James Harden at 40 plus million dollars. You have that Eric Gordon number on the books and even Covington, he's on a good deal. Um, that's still 12.1. And so 12 and 17 and 41, like you're getting awfully close to, um, you know, $80 million right there. That doesn't leave you with a ton of flexibility. You have to worry about PJ Tucker's free agency. He doesn't seem like he's happy. So I'm just, if you're objectively speaking, just how concerned should Rockets fans be that they are approaching the end of their time with James Harden as their franchise superstar? Oh, it should be a nine out of 10 right now. Right. Like, like, and you know, the, the, the only reason I'm not giving it a 10 out of 10 is Harden hasn't demanded a trade yet. Right. Right. And, and, that's your saving grace if you're Houston. Like that's like that's how you throw a hail mary by just having an awesome 2020 2021 campaign, right? And convincing them like, listen, man, this is the place. Like, right? Like if you if you can somehow make a a really good team out of James Harden and parts, which they've done before, right? Like they they've done that in 2016 17 where they surrounded Harden with shooters and a really good role man in Clint Capella. And they were able to get to 55, you know, wins and, you know, lose to the Spurs. And that, that was a really compelling situation that drew Chris Paul in, right? Like, if you can get to that point, like, that, th- th- then maybe you saved yourself. But again, it is a Hail Mary, right? Like, you have to have an awesome season in this Western Conference, right? I think this is just as, uh, uh, just as like, of today, the toughest Western Conference we've seen in years, and it's going to be really hard to, to pile up wins, but that's your only hope. That that really is like you have to nail this offseason. You have to spend into the tax if you're Tillman Fertitta, which is a big if. And like, trust me, like in Houston, all eyes are on him. The fan base has completely turned on him, and they, you know they they could they should like they they let Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni walk away in one offseason. Right, and Maybe. I think, look, there is an underestimation there. Like, I don't think people – I know the Rockets have received criticism for how they haven't valued um, chemistry enough, but I don't think anyone appreciated just how good, like, the relationship between D'Antoni and Harden really was, and then D'Antoni and Maury, and then probably even Maury and James Harden as well. Like, that was – and you mentioned at the top of the podcast, but, like, that's an element of this too, is, like, if – it's not just that this whole Russ thing didn't work out. It's that if you lost two people – in the franchise who it seems like James Harden got along with was on the same page with like, that's going to be an even bigger part of a trade demand. Should one come 100%. It is, um, it's insane. Like, like I did just this idea that that apparently like, like Harden doesn't feel like he was involved in the decision-making process. If that's true. And I haven't looked into that, but if that's true, that is a, pretty big red flag if you're using you and it's also a stark contrast from how they would have been run previously right because he was oh, very much 100%. involved when maury was in yeah. the fold absolutely absolutely and like the first phone call you make if you're rafael stone if you're if you're steven silas getting your you know getting the job is to james harden 100 percent. like like oh i'm hired okay hold on give me one second before you release that press release let me call james harden real quick to tell him i got the job and let me ask him about his thoughts right like like before you even tell anybody that you have the job you talk to james harden right like that that's that's how important relationships with your star player are and like the fact that the, the rockets treated harden like royalty up until this season and that he doesn't feel like they did that they gave him that same favor this season. It's pretty damning. 
right? Like, like it does. It doesn't get any more damning than that for ownership, for the front office, for the coaching staff. Like, and listen, I feel really sympathetic to Stephen Silas. This is a hell of a situation to walk into for your first job. Uh, welcome to the NBA. Uh, it is. Uh, it, it, it it's just the way it goes, man. Like, I, I, you have to get your star player involved in all these decision making processes and. Um, it, it, if that's true, if it, if that if that doesn't indeed end up being true, and, and from all indications, like, like these are pretty credible reporters that are putting this stuff out there, um, that, that that's bad. It's really bad. There's and look, and so if you want to prevent the Harden situation from reaching critical mass, and it, it might already be there, like what are you like the the Russell Westbrook trade is probably not going to be the move that actually helps you which is what's so tough to wrap your head around. And we talked about this when you came on to do a Rockets look ahead that is now wildly outdated because we were operating on all sorts of assumptions that have just proved untrue at this point. Uh, What else can you do with this roster? And yes, look, P.J. Tucker, Robert Covington, even Daniel House, like those are valuable players who you also can't afford to move. Like, yeah, if you were bringing back another star, you give up one of them. But even if you were like bringing back, let's just say it's a Victor Oladipo and you're giving up two of them. Like you can't even feel good about that deal because you're giving up like two incredibly key players. Like I would say that after Russ, those three are the most critical players on your roster. And I just don't know what the move is. Like, yes, they have. Like if we're looking on a smaller scale, let's say they break up the Russ contract into smaller pieces. Um, I don't know what the salary is. Like, is it is it Nicholas Batum? Is it Terry Rozier? Like, if they go that route, um, they also have Eric Gordon. But it's like, what are you attaching to any of these pieces to make a deal palatable? And, you know, I think when I was talking to you, like, one of the best ones I came up with is, like, can you use Aaron Gordon? And then you would have to go with House and then maybe a pick to try and get Otto Porter Jr. from Chicago. And I just don't even know that's doing it. The best thing that does is, oh. like, oh, if we could... That's another team smarter by Houston. Arturis is a, is a former <laughs> Rockets Yeah, so it's just like, it's so, I don't know what they can feasibly do. And it's, it feels like, like, are they able to turn in, like, I guess the, what I'm trying to say is the best route for them to do anything to make this team better. I don't know if it's actually the Russell Westbrook trade. It's certainly not a straight up one. It feels like there's either, it's a bigger deal with a ton of moving parts or you're getting back smaller parts that are then more easily digestible by other teams that you can send out and attach stuff to it. And by stuff, I mean, look, your assets are Covington, P.J. Tucker, Daniel House, and that 2022 pick. And you probably don't, I mean, unless Tucker just wants to leave at this point because he seems unhappy, you probably can't give up Tucker. I would argue you really can't give up Covington if you want to play small. Maybe you view one of them as expendable if you're going to sign a traditional center of which there are plenty on the market this year. So, yeah, that's something to consider. But I just – I don't even know, like, what is the, you know, buy low, um, hit high. Like, it's the low-risk, high-reward play for them. Like, I've tried to give some consideration of what might be out there. And the, the closest I can come, and I don't even know if this would be possible, is that can you take a swing at Victor Oladipo somehow? Like, has his value fallen enough where, like, if Houston's 2022 pick is in play – um, that Indiana is prepared to bet on. Well, if Eric Gordon's healthy, or maybe let's say, you know, is Terry Rozier involved from the Indiana trade? Like, it's just, is something else there from the Russell Westbrook trade where the 2022 pick and let's say House or Covington, like, get you an Oladipo? And is that the type of swing that's even worth making at this point? That is the absolute ceiling that I could come up with. And I, I spent way too much time thinking about it. 
Yeah, as we were recording, a friend just texted me like, "Victor, is Victor Oladipo telling other players of other teams that he wants that? Is this true?" Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I can't remember who reported it. I saw it on aggregated by Hoop Central that he was reportedly asking teams, other teams as players, in front of his teammates if he could come play for those teams. And it was, hey, wait, this is even better. It's the Heat, the Raptors, and the Knicks of all teams. So it was like the Knicks looped in there. It was just absolutely hysterical uh, like it's pickup basketball can you pick me up like what <laughs> like, right and the other uh, thing was there was i don't know if you saw it there was the um oladipo's sister i believe there was something that there was something that was aggregated about uh how oladipo like hasn't been great in the locker room in indy um oladipo's sister i believe um unless this is proven untrue quote tweeted it um basically referencing well who has the big mouth in uh, Indiana's locker room, someone replied with, it's definitely Miles Turner, and she, I guess, liked it or responded to it, and then Miles Turner dropped in that conversation and said, oh, it's like that now. So there's, like, all this weird drama in Indiana, and I'm just not even saying that a package of, you know, let's say Filler Covington in a 2022 pick, I don't know if that gets you, Oladipo. Uh, I would assume... I, I, I just love this idea of trading toxic for toxic and just, like, hoping it fixes itself out on both situations. Like, that, that's hilarious. Yeah, there's... But I'm just saying, like, that might be the type of swing they need to take, because I don't know that you can just say, like... I do, what is the end game of trading Russell Westbrook? Like, what is the goal? You mentioned rebuilding pieces before, but how do you sell a 30-something James Harden on that direction? Yeah, I mean, those rebuilding pieces have to be good, right? Like, I, like they have to be really good, and they have to get you to a place where you're winning. Yeah, you have to win 50 games next year. Um, like, and by the way, that report of Oladipo came from uh, Jay Michael. So he's like with the indie indie star and he knows his pace or stuff like that's a guy who's plugged in so like that wasn't that anecdote is from a reputable reporter and so it's not something to be taken lightly yeah it wasn't some dude at, at a, at a it wasn't legion hoops that right. was reporting it <laughs> yeah i, I yeah it's, that, that, that that is pretty credible there um yeah i mean that that's insane that is insane yeah i mean yeah like taking a swing is all you have at this point like you have to take swings at guys like oladipo like blake griffin I, I don't. I don't. Listen. I don't think Boston's gonna even entertain this. But like, you have to take swings like guys like, guys like Gordon Hayward, or like guys like that are the kinds of players you have to take swings at if you're Houston. Um, and and you're just hoping that Westbrook is a palatable enough piece to where you can't trade at. You don't have to trade future first round picks because if that's the case, I'm telling you right now, they are not trading future first round picks unless the deal is so good. Like if you're getting like Paul George back in return or something. Then yeah, obviously you trade for first round picks. I don't think I don't think they're getting that. So, so if that's the case, I mean you you have to bank on Westbrook being palatable enough for some of these front offices to be like, you know what, we have to make the playoffs. Let's go ahead and trade you, you know, an, an Oladipo. Uh, and and you know the the Pacers, by the way, aren't like one of these playoff starved teams. Like they have a pretty winning history. Uh, so it, that's going to be a front office that's hard to convince, but. Uh, you know the Pacers, the uh, the Pistons. Like you, you have to bank on one of these teams being desperate enough to take that next step, uh, and you know, hoping that one of these pieces that you know, you know, they they had whether they're injury plagued or we haven't seen them play basketball for a while, uh, whether these players are good. And, you know, like I think that's the kind of trade, that's the kind of trade you have to make if you're Houston because. I mean, here's the thing. You're trading a, a, a known asset. Like, what, however you feel about Wessel Westbrook, you're trading a known asset. 
and you're you're trying to get something that's unknown and trying to sell that to James Harden is going to be tough. But if that if that player is a is a name, right? If that player is someone like Blake Griffin, right? Like they, then you can possibly sell that to Harden as no, like listen, like this is like like used to be a perennial perennial MVP candidate. This guy's really really good. He just had an injury year. You know, he played like 18 games last year. What do you expect? Like of course his production was going to be down. Like that's the kind of way you have to sell it, to James and. It's going to be tough, man. I do not envy Rafael Stone. Again, uh, welcome to the NBA. <laughs> welcome uh, to the NBA, Rafael Stone. Do you know what could happen, and I haven't seen this, and it just kind of sprang to me, is that why don't you just go for a riskier version of Russell Westbrook who likes to pass, and their deals match up almost dollar for dollar. Russell Westbrook for John Wall, and maybe that's the trade where you're actually getting an asset in return because Wall is coming off that Achilles injury. Yeah, but... Does John Wall and James Harden get you to 50 wins next year? Like the, the, I think so. The two things that have to happen is then you're continuing to play super small. Um, I'd also just be curious to like know because Washington is getting the, be- I, the at least the safer player in this regard with Russell Westbrook. Is what else could you get out of them? Like, is there can you expand it to include a sign and trade with Davis Bertans and you're giving them Eric Gordon? Uh, I don't know how much interest they would have in something like that. Is it, you know, is Troy Brown Jr. of interest to Houston? Like, you're definitely not getting the number nine pick or Rui Hachimura out of that. But it feels like that would be the type of deal where if you think John Wall's healthy and you're just trying to sort of mime last year's style, uh, now you're putting someone in place who actually likes to pass more than Russell Westbrook. Like, Russell Westbrook, and I'm not trying to make this an insult, I feel like he passes out of circumstance, like out of necessity, because he has to, where John Wall really likes to pass. And so I actually think he's probably... A healthy John Wall is a better fit uh, for James Harden than Russell Westbrook is, in my in my personal opinion. Yeah, I mean, it, it, at his best, he is definitely a better defensive player. But man, it, it, these these trades really are bottom of the barrel. Like, it's, it, you're in a really bad spot right now, Houston. Like, it's just like his his value already was was rock bottom, and the fact that he came out and demanded this trade just sunk it even more i do not envy this front office i mean like again these trades that we're talking about are awful for a team trying to contend just awful like like yeah they might make you better because russ was such a poor fit but that doesn't make it a good trade well there's also no guarantee they make you better because like russ again russell westbrook played really well from like you know the middle of the season to like the tail end of it so it's like he was he still wasn't the best fit. Like, you got worse because you traded Chris Paul. That was the first domino to fall that um, screwed them over. Yeah, I mean, I, I, if you're Houston, I, I, you're, I think the model to follow is that 2016-17 season where, where, you know, in the offseason, they signed Eric Gordon, they signed Ryan Anderson, they signed Nene, and they were a really fun team that no one really expected to contend, but it made Harden content enough to stick along to where, you know, you know, the next year they trade for Chris Paul. I, I, that, that's that's the tough part, right? Like, how do you pivot from that fun team to a contender? I don't know. You can't I, at that point because I don't. I think the cupboard's pretty bare. Um, but that's your only hope. Like, here's the thing with James, here's the thing with having a player like James Harden pivoting to a rebuild. Yeah, it sounds it sounds fun, but James Harden is a generational player. You're almost certainly not going to get that in your next franchise player. Like, like it's just the odds are super low that you're that you're gonna get a player of that kind of ilk, like a top five, top six, uh, in the NBA kind of player. Mm-hmm. Like even if even if you get Ben Simmons, right? Like which is which is the hot name right now. Ben Simmons, I love Ben Simmons. 
But as his peak, what is he? Is he, what, top 10? Top yeah, 15? He probably is, but you're also not going to get him for Russell Westbrook. <laughs> right. Like, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, like, if you're, plan- if you're planning to rebuild from Harden. Like, oh, from Harden. I got you. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, like, I just think, like. You need, like, it would have to be a situation where it's coming from. I don't even know if you get, like, I don't, I don't know what's the better route to go is uh, getting, like, someone who's more established, like a Ben Simmons or, like, OKC got the best of both worlds with Shea Gilchrist-Alexander and some distant first-round picks. Maybe that's the route to go, or can you go with, you know, something like OKC? Like, that'd be really funny. Is he hard back in OKC? Because they have all those picks of all those other teams, or even the New Orleans Pelicans who have all those late um, Lakers picks. So at that point, what you're doing is getting bad yourself, and so your picks are going to be higher, but Houston traded away so much of its future already, that's potentially a problem. But then you're also getting these, like, semi-distant future first that could turn into something down the line. I'm not sure what's the better route to go. Um, neither is especially palatable. I think if, yeah, if Ben Simmons was on the table, like having a top 10, top 15 guy, like that certainly makes your team better, but you're not, I do, it's clear, like you're going to come down substantially from from Harden. Yeah, and, and, and that's why I advocate ride this high as long as you can until he comes to you and asks out. Like, again, your championship odds are just, always at a certain percentage when you have James Arnold on the team. He's that kind of a player. He always puts you in the mix. In the mix. I, Just, look, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. No, I mean, I mean I, the, he always keeps you in contention. And I think if you're Houston, like, yeah, it, it might sound a little bit relieving, a little less stressful, a little easier to try and rebuild. But it's it's substantially harder. It just sounds easier. It's substantially harder to rebuild from that. Yeah, like you might eventually have to do it at some point, but I, I think you can afford to wait a year. Harden's value is still going to be really good next year, and I think at that point, you know, you can ride out another year of James Harden, which I think is good. Like you want to ride out as many years of James Harden as you possibly can before this ride ends. Now, final question is more. It might be a series of questions. Does James Harden? finish next season with the Houston Rockets? It really depends on how that year starts, huh? Uh, and, and if that's the case, it really depends on what kind of what kind of haul they get back for Westbrook, right? Um, I'll say yes. I don't think he starts the 2022 season with them, or the 2021 season. That was going to be our next question, and that's where I'm at too, is that I will be, I don't know if it'll be pleasantly surprised, but I guess mildly surprised if he's on the roster beyond next season because I don't know where they would need to get to next year for him to deem it a success. I here's so I'll pick this. This is where I'm at. I think it's more likely that Russell Westbrook um finishes next season in Houston than I think it is that James Harden begins the 21-22 season in Houston. If that makes any sense. No, I get it. I, the, the, that that count, that computes well in my head. But um here's a question I have for you. What is an optimized like like let's just say they're the Rockets somehow like managed to cobble together like a third seed in the West, which is gonna be really tough. Like really you're talking about passing up teams like at least like Denver, right? Of quality. But let's just say they do it. Is that if you're if you're if you're hardened, like like yeah, you're not better than the Lakers, you're not better than the Clippers, but and you're you're probably not better than the Warriors. But if you're a third or fourth seed, is that an attractive enough situation to want to stay? Or do you still want out at that point? Do you still I, force a trade to like Philadelphia? I think you kind of size up what they can do in the offseason because I think what happens is so 
whether or not you trade Westbrook in that situation, like everything on your books gets a little bit more palatable at that point. So even Russ, like what if it goes the Chris Paul route where he has a great year next season and like all of a sudden, no, he's, I don't think he'll ever be at the level Chris Paul was because of what Chris Paul can still do defensively and he actually has a jump shot. But what if his contract, oh, there's only two years left and that final two years and what is it, like $90 million, a little over $91 million, whatever it is, that doesn't look so terrible anymore. So he becomes more movable. Or even Eric Gordon with only two years left on his deal, if he has a better season, he's more movable. And so there might be more stuff that you can do. And then maybe I'm seeing if I'm Harden, no, they're not going to have cap space. Like they would literally need to, they need to trade away. And let's say they trade Russell Westbrook for all expirings. Um, going into the 21-22 season, uh, they have... $81.3 million committed to Harden, Gordon, Covington, and Daniel House. That's all guaranteed, um, and that number can it's, – it's about $80 million. That number can only go up if they add players um, this, this summer to multi-year deals. So it's not going to be a matter of cap space, but I feel like it does get a little bit easier to maybe construct moves, um, and, and it's, it gets even easier if you've actually turned Russell Westbrook into – something other than oh we don't owe as much like if you can get even a low end first or just a prospect and now you can trade that prospect with um eric gordon's salary or maybe you've traded for a salary that's coming off the books in in 22 in the, in the westbrook trade so i think you give them time to to gather themselves in the offseason but you need to have reached this is important you need to have reached what you just talked about which i would say is at least top four in the West and put up a real fight in the second round, if not made the Western Conference Finals. And that's not going to be easy because, as you mentioned, we're talking Lakers, we're talking Clippers, we're talking Nuggets. If the Warriors are healthy, the Mavericks are coming. What happens if the Suns trade for Chris Paul? The Jazz are going to be there uh, if they remain healthy. So it's not easy. And I think if you are around that territory, though, if you finish the year third or fourth and you don't get annihilated in the first round, you at least put yourself in a position to where maybe you can do things that will make Harden more likely to stay with you. Um, the other thing that you could do is if he really didn't have um, a major say in what was happening this summer, you need to change that because that's what made Houston so attractive, I think, to Harden in the first place right now, is that he had so much of an influence in in what was happening, and you can't let that be, you know, I don't, I'm not saying you need to let your superstar run your team, but if you are that desperate to keep James Harden, he has to be just as involved, if not more involved, as he was with Daryl Morey and D'Antoni and I don't necessarily know what would have changed because as we already talked about he supported the Westbrook trade that wasn't a Morey move was that Morey just listening to his star was it Fertitta pushing Morey as well and now Fertitta just doesn't trust uh, James Harden's basketball opinion I, I honestly don't know but it does seem like Harden's influence transcended Morey a little bit because of that trade that or Morey was really just willing to defer to his star's gut, which definitely proved to be a mistake there. So those are the two things I think you can do is you need to finish high enough in the West to put yourself in a position to do something because you can't stand pat at that point. And also, if it's true that Harden didn't feel like he was involved throughout this process, that that needs to change post-haste. I 100% agree. Here's another question I have for you. And this is kind of a fun fun little hypothetical. We're never going to get the answer to this. But what's a better team? Let's say the Rockets managed to, to persuade Russell Westbrook to stay. And you go into you go into next season with with the same core, and you maybe you add someone for the taxpayer MLE. What, what is that core better than what you get with Harden plus whatever you get from the Westbrook trade? And maybe you sign like a Nerlens Noel in the off season because you don't have to go at, you don't have to go full micro ball anywhere at that point because you know you, you you're not you you don't need that floor spacing. You have uh, four shooters on the floor at that point. So 
What's a better team, that team or a team like uh, or, or the, the same core coming back? I don't. It's tough to know without knowing what they're getting in the Westbrook trade. If you were to ask me, like, let's say, let's use Blake Griffin as the example, or let's say they were able to swing like a, you know, is it like a four-team deal that lands them Al Horford or Kevin Love or Blake Griffin? Like, if that's the scenario, uh, if it's, if Blake Griffin's healthy, I think I might go that that's the better team because he's a shooter in himself, which helps. And you could even go with Kevin Love in that scenario too, even. Am I going to say Al Horford as well? It's, so I think I think having Westbrook might give you the higher ceiling, but all those other options give you a better chance of just being the better all around, like having the higher floor, if that makes any sense. I'm with you. Like, like I, I, I think Westbrook is just such a high-variance player. Like His ceiling with this Rockets team might be higher, but the, the, the circumstances where you hit that ceiling are just like, like you're talking about like ping-pong balls, right? right. And I think... And I think you hit more you hit more good ping pong balls with the team without Westbrook than you do with him. But there is one ping pong ball in that in that stack of hundreds that hits the lottery, right? And I and that's why you would keep Westbrook, right? You're trying you're trying to get that one. And I I I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't approach it that way. I I think I agree with you. I think it is that team uh, with with um, without Westbrook. I, I think it's that if you can successfully do that and pull it off and find well-fitting pieces this offseason, I think that team is better. And at that point, like you're talking about trying to salvage the season, which is going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Right. By the way, uh, quick a quick aside. Like, isn't that kind of like Blake Griffin's ideal situation, like if he ends up in Houston? Because like I don't think he's a power forward anymore. Like No offense to him. In today's NBA, he just can't play that anymore. He's not a good enough defender. He's not a good enough shooter. And I think playing him at center is just like maximizing his abilities and whatever team he ends up on. I, I I'd like to see him play center. I think he'd be really good and for, for Houston specifically too. It's you have PJ Tucker and Robert Covington there to where I think you might be able to have a better chance of getting away with that move defensively. That's the biggest problem with playing him at centers. I don't know unless he's going up against like he might be able to hold up in the post against some guys or just slow movers in general. But um, that, you know, him going up against bigger players isn't necessarily a solution, having him as your backline rim protector. But again, you have P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington in, in Houston right now. So, yeah, I, I think you could argue that the Rockets are a good situation for him. Um, with that, though, you know, you're nervous about – you have to be nervous about his injuries. Like the, the floor there is just so low if he goes down again because then you have nothing around James well, Harden aside from – like if you just took Russell Westbrook off this roster without putting anyone else in place – like what is is that team like is that a playoff team in the west it might i guess james harden is good enough for it still to be but at the same time it's like you need a really good run of health for that to happen at that point because you're just so shallow without that extra star yeah and this is why i classify this trade as a high risk from a team perspective a low risk from an asset management perspective because you can then he becomes expiring next year right like in, from an asset perspective, if, if he's not good, it doesn't matter. Like he's an expiring contract, you can move to a rebuild. You can trade him; you'll be a really valuable contract because that's like what thirty-five million expiring salary. I'm sure there are going to be teams that want to acquire that for cap space the following season, and or just keep him. And you have that you have that you know contract becoming cap space. And I think if you're Houston, you want to be a team with cap space, right? And and you can move all the players around that. You can move Harden. You can move. Uh, you can move Covington. You can move. T- not Tucker's going to be a free agent at that point, but you can move Gordon. You can move all those other guys. 
And I, like th- that's why that trade to me is the most appealing. Uh, the, the the big question here is, does Detroit want to do that? Right. Right. Like, and you know, like I, I struggle with that. I'm not sure if they want to do it. Like, it, it is fun to, to picture a world with like Christian Wood and like in like Russell Westbrook, right. and, like you know, trying to battle for an AC in the conference. But it is definitely a tough sell. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I might have to call you back again to grade whatever trade goes down for these Rockets, but I do appreciate you coming on to talk about Houston. So many things happening there. They're clearly now like probably the most fascinating team uh, heading into the, the transaction period. So, uh, Salman, thank you again so much for coming on. If you guys are not following him, again, it's Salman Ali NBA. That's at S-A-L, uh, uh, M-A-N-A-L-I-N-B-A. And be sure to listen to his podcast at Red Nation Hoops. And also subscribe to his newsletter, stateoftherockets.substack.com. It is in his bio on Twitter, so another reason to, to follow him. Thank you so much again. This was a blast. I love talking hoops with you. Yeah, this is fun, Dan.